Good morning. Welcome to Triad Baptist Church. We're glad that you are with us today, especially for those of you visiting. It is Palm Sunday. We are one week out from Easter. I got a couple announcements I want to run by you guys. I know we've been announcement heavy today, but the spring, we just got a lot going on. Uh, Connect groups begin this week. We have an eight-week spring session. If you are not in a Connect group and you'd like to be, uh, send me an email. My email address is on the website. We'd love to help pair you with a group. Also, Upward Soccer is in need of one coach. We have over 200 kids registered for our Upward Soccer program. That's the most we've ever had for Upward Soccer. We need one coach to coach. I think it's first and second grade co-ed on a Thursday night and then one game on Saturday. Uh, I think we've got seven weeks of the season. If you're interested, reach out to Norman Hamilton about that. We'd love to get you involved. Finally, I know Jody already mentioned this, but these Easter invitations are no good after next Sunday. Okay? They're no good. So they're on the Welcome Center. They're at Kids Cafe. They're all around our property. Take these with you because um, you got to pass these out. They're no good after this week. Invite someone to come with you next Sunday for Easter. Uh, This has been a different week for me. I was in France this whole week with our seniors. Uh, We've got eight seniors from our high school that went to France for their senior trip. And uh, we had a passport issue with the other chaperone that did not get resolved. And so I found out Thursday evening that I would be leaving Friday morning with eight seniors by myself. And we had a blast. We really had a great time. I'm going to share a couple photos with that and talk more about it in the sermon. But we, we really had a great time visiting France. We were in Paris. We were in Draguignon. I think that's how it's pronounced. If it's not, I said it confidently as if that was correct. Uh, but that's where we were, south of France. And then in Paris, it was very educational recreational. We were with Randy and Jonathan Loss. They are our two missionaries in France. Uh, We took Randy on uh, years and years ago. We have very few missionaries that predate Pastor Rob, but Randy's one of them. I think we took him on at Triad in 1992. Uh, I say we took him on because this is where I go to church. I was five years old then, so I didn't take him on, but that's when we started supporting him as a church. Uh, And then we also have his son, Jonathan, who we took on in 2018. Both of these are missionaries with Baptist Mid Missions, doing a great work Uh, there in France. And so we were able to see them do some educational stuff, have some fun. I'll show you a couple photos. The first one is our kids as they got to Paris. These are the eight high school seniors that we took. Really had a great time with these guys. The next picture is the iconic Eiffel Tower, which is where they stood there at the base. Had a lot of fun there. It was beautiful, uh, just a little windy for spring. The next photo is actually as we are walking through the street, we had a green to pass through, and I'm like, hey, let's come together for a picture. And you see the Arc de Triomphe in the background, and we had a good time there, another iconic landmark there in Paris. Uh, The next photo is, um, I'm anticipating it as well. The next photo, I think, is uh, one of our senior guys, yeah, giving testimony. This is Ethan Bowers giving a testimony there in the church. We took five young ladies and three young men, and all three of the young men got to share their testimony of faith and what God's doing in their life, and then the girls were able to sing. Uh, These are the missionaries, Jonathan and then Randy, uh, there in front of their church. And then the next photo is a group shot of all of our kids as they were participating in the service last Sunday. And then this last photo um, was doing track outreach. There you can't knock on the doors, but one thing you can do is you can put tracks in individual mailboxes. And so that's great because we didn't want to knock on doors either. All we can say is bonjour, and then that's all we got. And so uh, we didn't have to talk to anyone. We were just able to put tracks in mailboxes, and we did this uh, a lot on Monday. And later in our trip, once we got back to Paris, I got a call from Jonathan Loss, 
And uh, he said, hey, I want you to know when we got home uh, from Lazark the other night where we were distributing those tracks, we had a man reach out and he called us and he said, I want you to know that a group came by, they put some tracks in my mailbox and I want you to know that I appreciate you coming. I needed to read what it said. I read the whole track and I will be at your church this Sunday because I want to know more about Jesus. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that was so cool that that happened. But that was a photo of our group. All, all of us got to pass out uh, some literature. And so it was really an exciting trip. We had a lot of fun. And uh, I'm a little jet lagged. We got back late, late to Charlotte on Friday night. Um, and then I tried to recover some yesterday, but I plan on taking a really significant Sunday afternoon nap today. That's my plan. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 27. We'll be there in just a moment. Matthew 27. This week is Passion Week. Of course, today represents Palm Sunday and all the pageantry uh, that was gone by Thursday. If you think cancel culture is new, it is not. They had it 2,000 years ago because everybody was excited on Sunday and then they had all turned on Jesus by Thursday night. If you would like a suggested chronological reading for this week, there's a schedule I want to show you that follows Passion Week. If you could put that one up there, guys. This is just all the references following through Sunday all the way to the end of the week. Of course, today is Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday would have been the Last Supper, Good Friday, Crucifixion, Saturday, and then Resurrection Sunday. If you guys could just leave that up there for a couple minutes. If you want to write those passages down or take a picture, um, I can smile if you like. I'm kidding. Uh, but you can take a picture of that, and I'm going to follow that chronological reading this week just to kind of put myself in the Passion Week uh, mode of what was going on, what Jesus was experiencing with his disciples on Passion Week. But today would represent Palm Sunday and then, of course, next Sunday is Easter, and I hope that you'll make plans to join us then. In addition to that, uh, I always try to watch the movie The Passion of the Christ this week. It's not a completely accurate representation, but it's probably the closest thing that I've ever seen toward that. And so I'll try and watch that this week as well. But I, I had planned on doing something totally different, a sermon that I had written months ago. Uh, but with Easter upon us and thinking through what Jesus went through, I have another thought that I'd like to share with you today that I wrote on an airplane. So I'm excited to share this with you this morning. If you're physically able, stand with me as we read Matthew 27. We're going to read verses 15 through 26. We're going to talk about an interesting Bible character today known as Barabbas. Uh, as I was thinking through thoughts and reading through Scripture this week, I asked the teenagers on my trip, you guys know who Barabbas is? And they did. And I said, you ever heard a sermon devoted just to Barabbas? And they hadn't. And as I think about it, I haven't either. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is this character of Barabbas. Matthew 27, I'm going to read down through verse 26, beginning in verse number 15. Now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on his judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw 
that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. He took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. This morning, I'd like to speak to you on this topic, choosing Barabbas. Choosing Barabbas. Why do we do the things that we do? You ever thought about that? We make choices, but why is it that we make the choices that we do? You made a choice to come to church today, and I believe that to be a good choice, but all of you made a conscious choice that you are going to come and sit in church today. I believe that was a good choice. Some of you made a choice to watch the live stream instead. And to those of you joining us via live stream, we're thankful that you're here. We wish you were actually here, but we're glad that you're here with us via live stream. You've made what I believe to be a good choice today. There's some people that will watch this on our live stream, not live. It'll be later today or tomorrow, and we're glad that you guys clicked and found our site. We hope that you'll stick around. But we, we all made choices. You chose what you were going to eat today, or if you were going to eat today, or what you're going to eat later. You may still have choices to make in that regard. All of you made choices of what you were going to wear today. Maybe some of you men just wore what your wife laid out. You really didn't have a choice, but you chose. Am I going to go with that, or am I going to choose my own path today? Take my life into my own hands. I don't know, but you made a choice. We have made thousands of small, seemingly insignificant choices this last week, but why did we choose as we did Psychologists have lots of opinions on this. We want to understand the pathology of why people make the choices that they do. What influences a choice? Feelings, information, external factors, and much more. I'm going to choose a polarizing example that affects all of us. Choosing a president. Yes, but before you tune me out, I'm going to talk about a president that none of you voted for, okay? So just to, just to keep the playing field level. Anyone here today vote in the U.S. presidential election of 1920? Anyone here today? I don't think so. Because of legal voting age, you would have had to be born in 1902, which would make you be turning 121 years old today. Anyone like that in here? We are especially glad that you're here today, if that's the case. I want to talk about the election of 1920. In his book, Blink, Malcolm Gladwell tells this story. Early one morning in 1899, in the back garden of the Globe Hotel in Richwood, Ohio, two men met while having their shoes shined. One was a lawyer and a lobbyist from the state capital of Columbus, Ohio. His name was Harry Daughtry. He was brilliant. They called him the Machiavelli of Ohio politics, the classic behind-the-scenes fixer, a shrewd and insightful judge of character or at least political opportunity. The next man was a newspaper editor from the small town of Marion, Ohio. His name was Warren Harding. Daughtry looked over at Harding and was instantly overwhelmed by what he saw. Here was the description that he wrote. Harding was worth looking at. He was at the time about 35 years old. His head, features, shoulders, torso had the size that attracted attention. Their proportions to each other made an effect in which any male in any place would judge this man as being very handsome. He said some other things. He was genuinely friendly. His voice was noticeably resonant. He was masculine. He was warm. In that instant, Daughtry sized up Warren Harding, and an idea came to him that would alter American history. Wouldn't this man make a great president 
As he rose from one political office to another, he never once distinguished himself. Harding was vague and ambivalent on matters of policy. Listen to this. His speeches were once described as, quote, an army of pompous phrases moving all over the landscape in search of an idea. What a wonderful quote. Having been elected to the U.S. Senate in 1914, he was absent for the debates on women's suffrage and prohibition, which were two of the biggest political issues of his time. He advanced steadily from local Ohio politics only because he was pushed by his wife Florence and stage managed by the scheming Harry Daughtry. As he grew older, he grew more and more irresistibly distinguished looking. One time at a rally, uh, a supporter cried out, he looks like a senator, and so he did. Daughtry arranged for Harding to address the 1916 Republican presidential convention because he knew that people only had to see Harding and hear that magnificent rumbling voice to be convinced of his worthiness for a higher office. In 1920, Daughtry convinced Harding to run for the White House. Harding entered a Republican convention that summer, sixth among a field of six. The convention was deadlocked between the top two candidates, and so Daughtry predicted that the delegates would be forced to look for an alternative. In the early morning hours in the back rooms of the Blackstone Hotel in Chicago, the Republican Party bosses threw up their hands and said, wasn't there a candidate we could all agree on? One name came immediately to mind, Warren G. Harding. Didn't he look like a presidential candidate? So Senator Harding became candidate Harding. And later that fall, after a campaign that he conducted from his front porch in Marion, Ohio, candidate Harding became President Harding. Harding served two years before dying unexpectedly of a stroke. He was, as most historians agree, one of the worst presidents in U.S. history. Isn't that interesting? It gives some light on why we choose as we do. I believe that story helps us understand the pathology of why we choose to do certain things. Appearances, culture, emotion, all factored into the election decision of 1920. And I believe those same factors were at play in Matthew 27. Sometimes I like to give detailed, complicated outlines, but this week was, uh, it really didn't allow for me to do that. So I have a very basic and simplistic outline, which is why you hold a blank page in front of you. I have three points, and they're very simplistic today. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to look at three perspectives on choosing Barabbas. Point number one is simply this. We chose Barabbas. We chose Barabbas. Look again at verse number 15 we read a moment ago. Now, at the feast of the governor, it was a custom to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. Now, I read it earlier. I just read it again. You guys understand, that's crazy, right? I mean, you guys, you guys get how psychotic this is, that this is a tradition at the feast that we're going to just go down and release any one of the prisoners. Like, that's crazy. I have a lot of traditions that we do at our house for Christmas and for Easter. Uh, we'll do next week, we'll have our kids dressed in Easter outfits that my wife has selected. We will do Easter baskets for our kids. We may color Easter eggs. We're going to do an Easter egg hunt because Sophia is almost three and she's going to have a blast on an Easter egg hunt. We're going to have a good time. Those are Easter traditions. Next Sunday, uh, before we come to church, we will have for breakfast something called resurrection rolls. We've done them for years. And if you want the recipe, Desiree will give it to you. But it's just fun for the kids. We make resurrection rolls. We have a good time on Easter. These are fun little traditions that we do. I'd like to introduce a new one. If you guys are interested in doing this, here's what we're going to do. Is next Sunday, we'll gather in our Easter outfits. We'll hear Pastor Rob preach. And then before we go to lunch with our families, let's all head to the local penitentiary and pick someone to release. 
You guys in? You want to do it? This sounds like fun. No, that's crazy. But that's what they did here. This was a custom. This was a tradition. The people loved it. Verse 16 says, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. The King James calls him notable and the ESV calls him notorious, but the word means the same. It means that he was marked and he was well known. In an age of no local news outlets and no social media, they didn't even have Israel's most wanted, but everyone knew this criminal by name. He was Barabbas. He was known for one thing, illegal activity. That's what the guy was known for. Luke 23 tells the same story, and it adds that in this specific imprisonment, he was in there, he was behind bars due to an insurrection that was started in the city. We know this guy was a revolutionary. He was anti-Roman government. He had killed someone in the insurrection. He was a known criminal. And so what Pilate decided to do was, I've got to release someone. So I've got this guy, Jesus, who's the lightest criminal I've ever seen. There's literally no facts on this guy. There's, there's no evidence. There's nothing that would hold up. I've got him, or I could release someone else. So I'm going to choose to release the worst of the worst prisoner. There's no way that they would choose Barabbas over Jesus. But this plan, of course, backfired because that's exactly what the people did. The most notorious prisoner in town was Barabbas. Everyone knew him as such, and we chose Barabbas. I know what you're thinking, Jason. You, can, you cannot blame me for choosing Barabbas. I wasn't there. You can no more blame me for choosing Barabbas than you can blame me for Warren Harding being president in 1920. You can't blame me for those things because I wasn't there. And while those facts may be true, we did choose sin. You read through the book of Romans, Paul builds a case that all of us are guilty and without excuse, and when it comes to choosing sin, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Let me read a few excerpts. Romans 1 says this, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. That's Romans 1, chapter 2. We will render for each one according to his works. For all have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law, and all those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Romans 3, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 4, he was delivered up for our trespasses. Romans 5, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you get the pattern of progression through the book of Romans? Is that we're all sinners, we're all guilty, none of us are exempt, all of us have done wrong, and all of us deserve judgment. We study the disciples, we like to pick on guys like Peter because he said the wrong thing or he did the wrong thing. We read through the, the patriarchs of the Old Testament. We like to look at the life of Moses and criticize him for hitting the rock the second time. And we see the life of David. It's easy to magnify the sins that he chose. And we want to self-righteously say, I would have never done that. I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have chosen sin the way that those people did. We think to ourselves, I wouldn't have made that mistake. I would not have failed. I would have chosen differently. But we all chose those things because we all chose sin all the way back to our father, Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, in Adam all die. We like to beat up on Eve. If it was me, I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. I mean, God clearly said, don't eat the fruit. But we would have. We like to think that we wouldn't have chosen to eat the fruit, but we would have. We like to think we wouldn't have chosen to be dishonest, but we would have. We like to think we wouldn't have chosen uh, to have freed Barabbas, but we would have. Look at verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 22. Verse 22 says, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Look at what it says. They all said, let him be crucified. 
if you were there, you would have said it too. They all said the word all is as inclusive as all have sinned. It's the same word. We would have chosen Barabbas. We would have been right there with the rest of them. We would have been there on Sunday shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then on Thursday, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. That's who we want. We don't want Jesus, who is called the Christ. We'll take Barabbas. We'll take the known criminal. Verse 21, he says, The governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. You see, point one is that we chose Barabbas in that we all chose sin. Number two, not only did we, we chose Barabbas, but number two, we choose Barabbas. We choose Barabbas. Now, I know what you're thinking. This guy's had a long week. He's a little jet lagged. Point number two is the same as point number one. Can we get something different? It, it's a little similar. Number one, we chose Barabbas in the past in that we are sinners and we all were born into sin and then we all chose sin. We are sinners. We chose Barabbas. But I would also argue, number two, that sometimes still today, we choose Barabbas, present tense, in our decisions that we make today. In our house, we've got uh, Ethan and Zoe are 10 and 8, and we call them the big kids because there's a big gap between 10 and 8 and almost 3. And when uh, Ethan and Zoe, the big kids, were little, they used to love to play hide-and-go-seek at our house. We would have so much fun playing hide-and-seek. And maybe you play this with your kids or your grandkids. But what my kids would do is they would run throughout the house, and they would say, Daddy, find me. And I would go, and I would find them. And sometimes what they would do is they would sit somewhere in a good hiding space in plain sight, and then they would cover their eyes like this. Your kids ever do this? Your grandkids ever do this? Because they think psychologically if they can't see us, there can be no way that we can see them. And so I think sometimes as adults, this is what we do in our lives when we sin, is we, we sin and we think God doesn't know or God doesn't see, and so we cover our eyes in hopes that he doesn't. And that's what the big kids would do. It's what Ethan and Zoe would do, is they would cover their eyes. Sophia does it very differently. I've told you before, she does everything very differently than the rest of the kids. And so what she'll say when we play hide-and-seek is she'll say, Daddy, can we play hide-and-seek? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, we can play hide and seek. And then she'll say, I'm going to go hide in the closet and you come find me. <laughs> and it's like, I, that's not really how it works. You, you don't tell me the spot that you're going to hide in. It doesn't make sense. I, that's, the, that's the fun for me is to go and find you. So it's not as much fun for me, but it's, it's crazy fun for her because she goes to the same closet and sits down in the same spot and I find her. So I try to make it a little bit fun and sometimes I'll, I'll mess around close to the closet and I'll hear her giggling and, and then I'll put my hand on the closet and pretend I can't unlock it and, and open it and then I'll open it and then there she is. And she'll, she'll say the same thing every time. She'll say, now you go away. I'm gonna go hide in the closet and you find me. And we play this game over and over again. And I think to myself, one of these days, she's going to figure out that she's telling me the hiding spot. And eventually, I'm actually going to have to find her. But you know, we do this too, don't we? Is we do the things that we're not supposed to do, and we don't do the things that we are supposed to do. I, I didn't continue on Paul's progression through Romans, but when you get to chapter 7, that's, that's what he talks about. He says, all the things that I want to do, I don't end up doing those things. 
And I know I should do them, but I don't do them. And then all the things that I don't want to do, and I try and avoid those things, those are the things that I end up doing. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? And we constantly do this in our lives today. We make the same mistakes over and over again. We chose Barabbas, but even still today, we still choose Barabbas in some areas of our lives. We choose sin. We've been reconciled. We've been redeemed. But then we still in our minds choose sometimes to choose sin. We have no scriptural evidence that Pilate was a believer or ever became a believer. You read through the New Testament, there's nothing there that would indicate that Pilate was a believer or that he ever became a believer. Nothing leads us to thinking he was a follower of Jesus. But even he knew better than to choose Barabbas over choosing Jesus. Even he knew this was a mistake. Three times he implores the crowd, are you sure this is who you want to choose? Are you sure you want Barabbas? Are you positive you don't want me to just release Jesus? He had no relationship with God. He was not searching for the Messiah, and yet even he knew this was a poor choice. When you read through the Gospels, this account of Barabbas, this interaction, is given in all four Gospels. You know the name Barabbas because you've read through the Gospels before, and all four Gospel writers mention Barabbas by name. As many times as his name appears, you could argue that Barabbas was a more central figure in the Gospels than some of the disciples were. We know about Peter, James, and John. Well, we hear snippets about Andrew and Thomas and Matthew and Judas. But those other five guys, we got more on Barabbas than we got on any of them. He was more of a central figure than some of the disciples. In Luke's account of this exchange between Pilate and the people, Pilate gave the option, and then it says he addressed them once more, asking who they wanted to release. Finally, he pleaded with them a third time, are you guys sure? Luke 23 that they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. And I feel like our voices still prevail today in that we choose Barabbas. Let me ask you this. In what ways have you chosen Barabbas this past week? In what ways have you chosen Barabbas? I think we choose Barabbas sometimes in our finances. We do what we want to do. I think sometimes we choose Barabbas in our careers. We make the decision that best suits us. We choose Barabbas in our day-to-day decisions, not considering what the Holy Spirit would have us do with our lives, what God wants. We choose Barabbas with our kids. I'm guilty of this. We let our kids choose what they want to do because we choose what we want to do. And subtly we convince them that it's all about what we want and what makes them happy. And we do that with them because that's the criterion that we use. We choose Barabbas and we encourage them to do the same. We choose Barabbas in our relationships. Choosing Barabbas isn't necessarily about by making a bad decision. Many times it's just not choosing the best decision. Let me say that again. Choosing Barabbas isn't necessarily by making a bad decision. Many times it's choosing not, it's just not choosing the best decision. James 4, he pointed out, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that we take matters into our own hands. And we chose Barabbas in that we sinned, but even though we are now redeemed, sometimes we still choose Barabbas. In some manuscripts, Barabbas is called Bar-Jesus or Jesus Barabbas, which means in that day, in first century, some people would have known Jesus the Christ and they would have known Jesus Barabbas, which is interesting that they both had the same name. Essentially, they had to choose which Jesus they wanted. 
Which Jesus do you want? Do you want Jesus the Christ or do you want Jesus Barabbas? And we think, well, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's an easy decision. We want Jesus the Christ. We want the one that answers prayer. We want the one that listens to us. We want the one that, that intervenes when our loved ones are sick. We want that Jesus. But that Jesus also comes with a Jesus that allows you to go through trials and allows you to go through persecution and allows you to feel uncomfortable and allows you to feel unfamiliar and allows you to go through stuff that you would not otherwise choose for yourself. We want the Jesus that answers prayer but we don't necessarily like the Jesus that makes us feel uncomfortable. It's like we go through the line at CNH and we take all the good stuff and we don't want any of the vegetables. And that's not how your relationship with Jesus works. You take it or you leave it. You don't pick and choose. It's not Burger King. You can't have it your way. You choose all of Jesus or none of them. We like the mountaintop Jesus. But man, that valley Jesus is tough. It's tough to go through the valleys like that. We want the Jesus that meets every need. We don't necessarily like the Jesus that makes us feel uncomfortable. Do you want the Jesus that makes you feel better about your sin because he's done worse? Because that's Jesus Barabbas. When you stack up your resume with Barabbas, all of us probably look pretty good. We got any thieves that have started revolutionaries against the government and killed people? Probably not. We don't have the same resume Barabbas had. It's easy to choose someone like him because he's done worse. Or do you want the Jesus who has the power to save you from your sins? The name Barabbas literally means son of the father. It's very original. It's like naming your kid, kid, or boy, or whatever. It's what his name means, son of the father, while Jesus means son of God. Sometimes we often choose the cheap substitutes over the original. You know, we had one setback on our trip to France, and all of our kids really handled it very well. But if you were looking in world news, they were having a lot of protests um, in France because of the age of retirement. They were moving the age of retirement from 65 to 67. And there were a lot of protests happening about that. And so I tried to joke around with it with our kids. And I said, hey, the bad news is there are protests. It could impact some of our transportation, some of our travel. But the good news is all the people protesting are about 64, 65 years old. So they'll all be in by 4 o'clock. They'll have dinner early. It's not going to... They didn't think it was that funny either, so it's okay. But we had a great time, and everything we had was going smoothly. And we had uh, on our docket, we have to hit the big thing. So we, hit the, uh, we got the Eiffel Tower. We hit the Arch, Arch de Triomphe. Uh, we went to the uh, armory where there is a church built for Napoleon's tomb, and we got to see that. That was really cool. We got to ride the Metro. We got to go to the Louvre Museum, one of the famous museums in the world. And then we had planned to go to Versailles, which is a beautiful, immaculate palace. And we were planning on doing that. And when I had gone the year before, we got to see Versailles. And it was, it was just, it's immaculate. We were there for three hours, and we didn't see everything that there was to see. And it was an hour from Paris out to Versailles, and we wanted to be there an hour early and get lunch. So two hours before our entry time of 12.30, so it's 10.30, uh, we left and got on the train to travel out to Versailles. While I'm on the train, I got 45 minutes to kill. So I start looking through my email, and we had left at 10.30. While we're on the train at 10.38, I received an email from Versailles that said, due to the demonstrations... Some of our people are not able to work today, so we have closed the palace for the day. And I'm like, you have got
got to be kidding me. I got one shot with these eight seniors to see Versailles, and now your socialist crazy government is shutting down for today because you just don't feel like going to work. Like, how crazy is that? And so that's what they did. And so I just told our kids, I said, you know, we're going to still go because we're already on the train. We're going to try and get to Versailles. Uh, we had Jonathan with us who spoke French, and, you know, maybe, maybe we can get in and see, see a couple things. So that didn't work. We got there. The gates were closed. The guards were very kind, although they were explaining to everyone the same thing over and over, and they just said, we, we can't let you in. So I told our kids, I said, listen, um, here's what you're going to miss in seeing Versailles. I said, you're going you're to miss a lot of immaculance, uh, a lot of spectacular things that you'll see. But um, here's, here's something I learned about Versailles when I went, is in Versailles, you will see a beautiful portrait of King Louis XIV, and you will think that it is real but you won't realize it's a fake until tomorrow when we go to the Louvre and you see the original. And then also, there's a, there's a huge portrait of the coronation of Napoleon. And I don't know what France would even be today if it weren't for Napoleon. Uh, but you're going to see a beautiful structured painting that is it's huge and it's beautiful, but you won't realize it's a fake until tomorrow when you go to the Louvre and see the original. And one of the kids was like, so let me get this straight. All the stuff hanging in Versailles is fake. And I said, well, some of it is, some of it's not, but all the original stuff is in the Louvre that you'll see tomorrow. And they're like, so we are going to the Louvre tomorrow. And I said, yes. And they said, well, then we're cool with skipping today. There's no problem. And I was like, oh, okay, well, good, because you're going to see all the originals tomorrow. But isn't this what we do in our lives? It is we trade the fake and we trade the substitute. We trade what's original for the counterfeit. We do this in our lives, and we're blown away by the gold and the glitz and the glamour, and we think this has to be real, and it's not. And we forsake what is real, what's hanging in the Louvre, the originals. We forsake what is sacred and what is permanent and what is eternal for something that's temporary and, in, es in essence, a cheap substitute. And we do this in our lives, and in doing so, we choose Barabbas, choosing a cheap substitute over the original. Don't settle for a knockoff. Don't continue to choose Barabbas in your day-to-day -day decisions of life. Number one, we chose Barabbas. Number two, we choose Barabbas. And number three is where it all comes together with us. Not only did we, cho we chose Barabbas and we choose Barabbas, but number three is this, we are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. I think the reason that we chose Barabbas and the reason that it's so easy for us to still choose Barabbas is because deep down we know we are Barabbas. This is a name tag that says, hello, my name is Barabbas. Because that's who we are. I mean, you, you probably don't want to hear that today. You probably didn't come to church on Palm Sunday to hear, yeah, you're, you're Barabbas. But it's the truth. Our sin deserves judgment, just like Barabbas deserved imprisonment. I told you this account is mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew calls Barabbas a notorious prisoner. Mark and Luke say that he was guilty of murder in the insurrection. And if you read through John 18, John says Barabbas was a robber. Take your pick. The guy was guilty. Now, you probably don't have a rap sheet like that, but we could take your pick, take our pick in your life too, because you're guilty. And deep down, you're Barabbas. He was a thief who led a revolt, killed someone. He was guilty. And if I'm being honest, I'm guilty too. I haven't done a lot of the things Barabbas did. You probably haven't either. But we're just as guilty of sin as he is. And the reason that we chose Barabbas and the reason that we still sometimes choose Barabbas is because deep down we know we are Barabbas. 
Here we stand guilty before the judge, and by no merit of our own, Jesus was chosen to die in our place, the innocent for the guilty. You know, Barabbas deserved the judgment that he was due, and so do we, but Jesus didn't. He who was innocent bore the punishment that we justly deserved, and just like Barabbas, we are able to walk free. Romans 8, 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to share a story with you as I close. On September 6th, 2018, off-duty Dallas police officer Amber Geiger returned home from a long shift on the police force. Amber was a good police officer. She lived in an apartment complex, and she was very tired from her shift. And so what she did was her apartment uh, was joined to a parking garage. And so she went into her parking garage. She drove up to what she thought was her floor, but she actually parked on the wrong floor. And what she did is she parked on the wrong floor, but she thought it was the right floor. And she went into her apartment level, which she thought was her apartment. And she got to her apartment door, and she noticed that her door was standing open about eight inches. And she immediately panicked, thinking, someone is in my apartment. So having just got off uh, her duty as a police officer, she pulled her gun, thinking, I'm a cop, somebody's going to be after me. And so she walked into her apartment, fully anticipating to see an intruder. And as she got into what she thought was her apartment, she sees an African-American man sitting in a chair that she thought was her living room. She pulled her firearm, she shot him, and she killed him. This happened in Dallas, Texas in 2018. His name was Botham John. He was a good-hearted, innocent young man with a steadfast faith in Jesus. He was simply sitting in his own apartment that night as his life was abruptly ended for no rational reason. The next, story, the next year, the city of Dallas was gripped by the tragedy, and the resulting trial became a racially charged media frenzy, sparking debate and rage on every side of the issue. The case was complex and emotional. Clearly, Amber Geiger acted wrongly, although not maliciously, and people on every side of the issue demanded justice. It was a really messy scene back in 2018. Here's an innocent man who is dead and a, and a police officer who did not intend to do any harm, but yet she did. As the trial closed, despite Amber's remorse, she was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison for second-degree murder. Justice was served but nobody felt good about it. The city of Dallas wept for both the John and Geiger families. Just before Amber went to prison, the John family was permitted to present their witness impact statements. Uh, the John family were all committed followers of Jesus. They, told, they were told they could say anything they wanted to to Amber, but they could not use profanity and they could not issue any threats. The victim's young brother's name was Brant John, and he stepped to the microphone to speak. He was tearful and emotional, and while the world expected to hear rage, he personified grace. Here's his quote. He said to Amber Geiger, I don't even want you to go to jail. I think giving your life to Jesus would be the best thing that both of them would have wanted you to do. And then he said, I love you as a person and don't wish anything bad on you. Then the brother of the victim and the guilty hugged each other, embracing the murderer who had taken his brother's life. It was unprecedented. You can read more about the story. Finally, the judge, whose name was Tammy Kemp, did something that's only been done one other time that I know of in the history of mankind. 
the judge rose from her bench and stepped toward the guilty and embraced her. Judge Tammy Kemp walked over to Amber Geiger on the witness stand who had just been guilty and convicted of murder, and she handed her a Bible, and she said, I want to give you a hug. And for the second time in human history, the righteous judge stepped away from the bench to embrace the guilty. And do you know the other time it happened? It was the day that God the Father stepped off of his bench, and because of the blood of Jesus, he stepped toward the guilty, and it was me, and it was you, and he embraced us in grace. Did we deserve it? No. But because of Jesus, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, the judge of righteousness embraced the guilty because of what Jesus had done. It's the only time I know of that it's happened before this story. And folks, this is the gospel. This is the gospel where the righteous judge steps out of heaven and he comes to this earth and he suffers and he takes the place of Barabbas and every one of us so that we, like Barabbas, can be set free. He came to the guilty, he embraced us in grace and love, and now we have been forgiven. Have you experienced that kind of forgiveness? I can't imagine this young man, Brant John, embracing someone who had murdered his brother. I don't get that kind of grace. I don't understand it. I don't understand a righteous judge stepping off of her bench to embrace the guilty. I don't know why it happened then. I don't know why it happened with me. But have you experienced that kind of forgiveness in your life? Because God offers you today peace and reconciliation, not because of anything you have done or ever could do, but because of what Jesus did, he embraces you. Have you accepted the reality of the judge stepping toward you? The truth is, you chose Barabbas. And if you're being honest, you still choose Barabbas today. All of us do. And the reason is because we are Barabbas. But Barabbas walked free because of Jesus. Are you still living in the chains of the sins that you've committed? You don't have the rap sheet that Barabbas does, but you've got a rap sheet. You've not committed the same sins that he has. Some of you have committed things similar, and you're still living in the bondage and the chains of sin while Barabbas walked free. He accepted the fact that Jesus took the rap for him. Have you? Are you still living in the guilt of the things that you've done? We chose Barabbas, and sometimes we still choose Barabbas. But truthfully, we are Barabbas. But because of Jesus, he got to walk free, and you can do the same. Let's pray. As the musicians come to lead us in an invitation song, I want to specifically address those of you who may not have a relationship with Jesus. Because of your sin, you deserve judgment. We all do. But you see, what Jesus did on the cross makes it possible for you to have peace with God. There are a million ways to get to Jesus. But friend, Jesus is the only way to get to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man gets to God except through me. Have you accepted the grace and the pardon of Jesus? This week is a reminder of the judge stepping toward you, the guilty, and allowing you to be set free. Are you living a life of freedom or are you still in bondage for the things that you've done? If you want, you can pay for your sins on your own. 
It will take you all of eternity to do it. Or you can accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to you because of his finished work on the cross. Today, if you're here and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can by faith trust in him today. Ask forgiveness of your sins. Ask him to come into your life and be the Lord of your life and accept a relationship with him. And by his word, he will save you. Those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, in what ways are you still choosing Barabbas in your life? You know what to do and you know what you're supposed to do and you know what you're not supposed to do and yet we still sometimes in our minds we choose things that God does not want for us. We still choose Barabbas. Maybe today would be a good day to recognize the work that he did for you on this week 2,000 years ago for the atonement of your sins so that you, like Barabbas, can also walk free. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for your word the example of Barabbas and how it ministers to us today. God, I pray if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice in this room, watching online or watching later that does not have a personal relationship with you, God, I pray that the conviction in their lives would be so strong that they cannot escape your grace and your love that you poured out for them. I pray that they would turn from their sins and choose you. God, for those of us that still struggle, still in this earthly, fleshly body, sometimes still choose Barabbas and choose sin. God, I pray that you would enable us by your spirit to choose Jesus. God, I pray that you would be glorified in that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you would, to your feet. The altar is open. We're going to sing one invitation song. If the Lord's spoken to your heart, feel free to come this morning.